KMOX at your service. Welcome to the Helitech Waterproofing Home Improvement Show, presented by Gutterworks. Here's your host, Scott Mosby, on KMOX. And good morning, good Saturday, good grief. It's hot. Have you heard the forecast? It's hot now, hot later, hot more, and then the weather mixes and then we have rain and it gets hot again. Well, home improvement is today's show topic. Scott Mosby here, two full hours, all for you, 10 phone lines, all your questions, answers, favorite topics, whatever you're facing, perhaps at a do-it-yourself home repair project, whether you're doing your own basement, your bathroom, however that all works out, this is the Helitech Home Improvement Show, sponsored by Gutterworks, lots of things to talk about. It is a heat part of the summer right here in the middle of the United States. All the way, we cover a four-state area, and your county is included. You are part of the CAMWEX family. 314-436-7900. brings a little bit of that family business around your home, your office, the buildings, building a doghouse, taking care of building a uh, birdhouse, whatever it is around your home. This is the place for you. 314-436-7900. Toll-free anywhere in the globe. Uh, 800-925-1120. 800-925-1120. Scott Mosby here. Two full hours. We're going to get up and running. I welcome your questions, your answers, your favorite topics, products, methods. Uh, We'll work it out here together. I am the, uh, uh, think of me as the phone operator. I put together the questions. Questions and the answers. Occasionally, I throw in questions, answers, experience, products, whatever it might be. Again, this is the Helitech Home Improvement Show. Scott Mosby, two hours all for you. 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. Again, I invite you to take a walk around your home, a little bit of a walkabout. Take a look-see, see what's going on outside your house. Maybe not right now. Uh, Might have been more appropriate, 6, 7, 8 o'clock this morning. Take your favorite morning beverage out with you, coffee, tea, big glass of water, whatever it might be. Go outside. See what your house is looking like, what you're looking for. Start at the very top, very systematic. Start at the top. Come on down. This is kind of what we do at Mosby Building Arts in my day job. We size up the house. We're looking for problems even when we're being invited to discuss, you know, a very different project or, you know, pretty comprehensive project. Uh, We do a lot of kitchens and bathrooms. Most every project we do has some sort of a kitchen and bathroom uh, involved in it unless it's a repair. Uh, So think about the top of the house. You're looking for the trees, the branches, dead wood over the top of the house. Those can, in a storm, which we've had a few interesting and windy ones recently, those branches fall off on the roof, create damage to the roof, gutters, downspouts, all those sorts of things. Hopefully you don't find out because of the rain. That's a big deal. Uh, And then look at the gutters. Uh, Check out the chimney, the flashing around that chimney. It might be a siding chimney, could be stone, could be a stone veneer, all the various ways. It might be a metal boxed up stuck on top of the house i've installed a few of those about you know some years ago back in uh, earlier days of construction and those are holes in the outside of the house 
roof vents are literally holes in the roof. Um, you know, so a chimney is cut with a hole in the roof and then something put in it, whether it's a brick foundation or fireplace coming up from the bottom or a metal box or a doghouse, as we call them, a framed-out structure to enclose that chimney flue pipe. Uh, you know, all those things need to be flashed, joined, melded, waterproofed from shingles, whatever type they are, up to that surface, that vertical surface of that chimney. Come on down, look at the downspouts. Also, don't miss the windows. Look for discoloration on the brick, the siding, the stone, whatever it is. Differences in colors on the outside of the house indicate usually moisture or something different. And that moisture doesn't have to come from rain, snow, ice, various times of the year. It can come from condensation. Right now, today, we've got one muggy, close, hot day. We manufacture water and we hang the stuff in the air. Yeah, you bet. It's called humidity here in the Midwest. All of you and listening to my voice know exactly what I'm talking about. When that hot, moist air comes in contact with a cold surface, just like cold glass of water, cold soda can, whatever it is, right on the back patio on that table, water droplets occur. If that is a piece of ductwork in your attic, water droplets occur. Cold ductwork from an air conditioning system that is running more and more and more because it's very hot, that ductwork that usually gets kind of cold because it runs maybe 15 minutes an hour, now that AC may be running 50 minutes an hour almost all the time, and the temperature of that metal ductwork gets really cold, and the colder that metal is and the more humid the air is, the more water droplets occur. You can wind up with a ceiling leak, a water spot on the ceiling of your second floor, whatever it is, what's underneath the attic. If you have ductwork in there, even sometimes bathroom vent fans, uh, dryer vents, those sorts of things, those are all about moisture. And they can actually create wet spots or water spots on the ceiling. 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. If this is causing any concern, bringing any things that are, you know, kind of close to the vest there, maybe it's time to bring them out and talk about them. Thermostats. Yes, the colder we run those thermostats, the longer, the more you bring that temperature down, 74, 73, 72. The, the chillier you ask that furnace, that air conditioner to work, the longer it runs per hour, the colder the things get. Anyway, 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. Remember the windowsills as you come down those walls. The windowsills are a roof, if you will, without full flashing. So windows and doors are put in and have been put in for a very long time. Only in the recent years have we learned the real uh, value of flashing, sill pans, waterproofing, flashing tape, all that stuff. I mean, it's a hole in the wall. That's a window. Or a door is a hole in the wall. And those door sills, window sills, are where water sits and then soaks in or runs off. So all that to talk about. 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. Scott Mosby, I'm on a roll this morning, folks. Bring it on. We've got two hours. University of KMOX. All right, Scott Mosby back together here right to the phone lines. We're going to fire them up. I've got some phone lines open, some great questions, great topics. You're next, 314-436-7900-436-7900-800-925-1120-800-925-1120. Next up, let's fire up and see what's happening with Sherry. Sherry, good morning. How can I help you there? 
Hello, is this Cherry? Hey, yeah, it's Cherry. Yeah, Jerry. Okay, how can I help you? Yeah, Cherry. Yeah, I have a. I redid my backyard a couple years ago. Did the concrete, put my downspouts all down underground. Okay. Um, and I guess at the end of my patio along the fence line, I'm now having where the, I don't know, the flower bed is now sinking with a sinkhole from the rainwater that's coming down from the neighbor. Yes. And it, and I don't know how to fill it. I put rock, I put mulch, and it seems to not work. And now the flower bed is tending to go a little bit further out where it's sinking more and more. And I don't quite know who to call. Um, where are you located here, Cherry? Webster. Webster. Uh, I would. Webster has. Oh boy. Uh, Webster has a bunch of sinkholes. You're on top of some uh, interesting topography. There is a cave system underneath Webster Groves, uh, and I know personally of about three various sinkholes. And you may be up against some interesting thing. I would invite you. Uh, the, the good news about Webster is they've got a really good building department and a good zoning department. So I would start with your building system, your building commissioner up there. Give them a call. Turn that to them and say, you know, I talked to Scott Mosby. He suggested this could be a sinkhole. I've got something to see. Do you know, because generally the folks in that municipality have a pretty good sense of where those sinkholes are because sometimes they have to face them with uh, inspecting for footings, uh, building permits, things like that. Uh, and Mother Nature doesn't always show her cards all the time. You know, we dig a hole, we put in right. a basement foundation, lo and behold, it's like, oh my gosh, there's a sinkhole, now what? Um, so I would start with them. Uh, long and the short of it is, uh, I would suggest that uh, you will um, find this happening again, but also don't rule out the simple stuff. For example, there may be a pipe broken that is allowing water into it. So maybe one of those downspout pipes that you've done a nice job of, of burying, maybe something broke or maybe those joints came apart and the water from the surface comes in. Once it starts finding a path, it'll go back and it'll go back and it'll go back again and again and again. And then with it, it'll carry the soil. So you can have errors in the installation of some of those systems, which is why warranty is so important. Uh, so I would, you know, talk to the folks that buried those pipes a couple of years ago and say, hey, here's what I'm facing. Can you just make sure that what you put in was okay? Uh, you know, take a look around. But, you know, between those two, I think you'd have a pretty good sense. Great. Thank you. Okay, Cherry. Good question. A good good one to bring on because uh, there are sinkholes, my gosh, down in Waterloo, uh, around south of there. Um, my golly, there are sinkholes. And, you know, I, we've got some of that karst topography, K-A-R-S-T, I mean, which basically means we've got an underground cave system with a bunch of funny things going on around here. So thanks, Cherry. Take yeah. Care. Thank you. Bye. All right. Bye now. Home improvement, again, bring it on. Uh, one of the benefits, frankly, uh, of me and one of the things I love is, man, I've been around the block, which means I think I've seen things crash and burn in more ways than you can count. So, you know, um, uh, I've dealt with uh, backyard drainage. Uh, we do a lot around backyard drainage because when the, when the neighbor's yard drains to your yard, um, you know, that's part of the whole zoning plan for the city, municipality, the county, whoever that zoning and code enforcement uh, authority is. 
their job is to make sure everything gets and goes uh, effectively to the MSD, whatever it is, inlet, and then MSD handles that underground or, or surface water as well gets it to either a treatment plant or right to the river for surface water. Uh, so it's a big deal. Just keep in mind. Uh, so if you've got drainage runoff water problems, bring it on 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. Let's go visit with my buddy Dave. Hey, Dave, happy Saturday. How can I help you, my friend? Good morning, Scott. Uh, about a, six months ago, I had a new driveway put in, and I just now, a couple of days ago, had them seal it. Uh, and they did uh, the, you know, they did the, the cleaning, the spraying cleaning. Okay. And then they, uh, but they didn't get uh, right up close to the porch. There was some uh, some leaf stains, and they they didn't get it or they couldn't get it off. And then they just put the sealer right over the stain, and it it's about hand the size of your hand. Yeah. And it's it's dark and it doesn't look good. So. We were wondering if there was something that we could remove that sealer to get down to the stain. Uh, uh, what kind of, of sealer, what kind of driveway do you have? Well, it's concrete. Is it um, white concrete or ex- exposed? I'm sorry? Is it, does it look like rocks or does it look like white? No, no, it's, 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 it's just a regular concrete, no rock. Okay. Uh, and uh, it's, brushed, it's been brushed. Yeah. And the, it's, the driveway's not bad. It's the little walkway between the the driveway and our porch is where this stain is and he just rolled right over it with the sealer Ouch. and it's and it's the it's the like polyurethane sealer it's not the water sealer uh is it a shiny surface or a flat do you see the sealer is it shiny or not uh no okay. no you can't see it i mean not yeah. now yeah, I mean, you could when it was wet, but not now. Yeah, that that is a that's a, a sealer that soaks in. It mm-hmm. will make that stain harder to remove because one of the things you get from sealing is you keep the colors, the stains, the mud, the dirt, the oak leaves, all of those up above the sealer, and it doesn't keep it from happening. It just makes Mother Nature wash it away faster, or you can scrub it and it removes better. So that's one right. of the benefits of sealing. If you're going to seal it into the concrete like this has been done with a penetrating sealer, which is what you've got, uh, then you're nigh on to stripping paint. Uh, so you're using some pretty nasty solvents and strippers to get through that sealer. And even if you tried to get that stain out, the best thing that removes stains is time. Uh, mm-hmm. Sun, heat, rain, snow, because if you're going to try and remove a, um, what a stain effectively is, is pigment penetrating limestone rock, because that's what concrete is akin to. It's kind of a chunk of lime held together with cement. That pigment is, is literally down in the concrete. But it won't, it won't come out now because the uh, sealer's over it. Correct. Right. That's correct. But yeah. even doing all this before the sealer, uh, my best guess is you probably, you know, the, the, you know, Mr. Magician of stain remover probably at best could have removed about fifty percent of that stain before they sealed it anyway. So it, it wasn't going to get come. It wasn't going to come up with a power washer. No, no. That yeah. that's not typical, you know, for that. Um, and especially if it had been there for two weeks to six months. 
oh man, you know, it, it might take a year and a half for uh, an oak leaf stain or a red clay mm-hmm. mud stone. Those puppies, believe me, I know concrete and it, it you know, this, this is what the Native Americans, you know, this is where the Collinsville Cochia Mounds came from. Those folks knew <laughs> paint yeah. colors. And uh, is there any possibility used. of like sanding it down? No, well, it, yes, yes, there is, and no, you shouldn't. Oh. <laughs> I mean, basically, you will take a divot out of your driveway. You'll remove the stain, but what you leave behind will be uglier than the stain. Okay. I, I'm not optimistic on this. E- even when it's new concrete and it's not been sealed, you know, it just, golly, I mean, we've done battle with these. We've got power washers and cleaners and stain removers. And, I mean, we go nuclear on some of these solvents that, you know, then we have to start rinsing down well, the we, plants. Well, we, we have trees, and we know the stains will come up eventually with yeah. the with the, the sun. But I kind of wish he'd uh, ask us before he put the sealer over. We may have just not sealed that part. Yeah, I would give him a call because sometimes, uh, you know, when we run into stuff like that, we just don't seal that area. You know, I mean, ideally, you know, you talk about it up front, but, you know, humans are humans. You you know, sometimes 99%. And and then it's like, well, I just didn't see it. Sometimes we get pots and things moving and all of a sudden there's stains underneath it. So Well, he knew it was there because he he told me he tried to get it up, but he didn't, he didn't, uh, didn't come and ask us if we wanted to, to seal over it, so he just went ahead and did it. So we were trying to get that stain out, with, you know. But Well, let me tell you how you go about it, Dave. There, for example, countertops, uh, marble, um, um, various porous countertops in kitchens. When that gets stained with uh, orange juice, uh, red wine, there is a poultice. If you recall, do you know anything about medical care drawing infection out of a wound? Not really. <laughs> well, basically, you put a dry, dusty, powdery material on top of the wound, and the uh, uh, moisture moves from high concentration to low. So the infection uh, will be drawn up into this P- poultice, P-O-U-L-T-I-C-E. Uh, we do the same thing in stones and concrete and, and whiting powder, W-H-I-T-I-N-G, uh, sometimes lime, anything that will draw moisture. Uh, think of it as almost an oil-dry kitty litter sort of product. Kitty litter gets mm-hmm. used for this stuff. Uh, okay. but, but you put soap and water on, you scrub it, uh, and then you keep it wet. You then put this whiting powder or kitty litter or poultice on top of it, and then you cover it with plastic, clear plastic, and you tape it down all four sides. And it will draw that moisture. So the the concept is you get the moisture and the detergent down into that stain, and then you cover it with this real dry powdery stuff, the poultice material, and it draws that moisture back up out. And hopefully some of that colorant comes with it. The pigment comes out with it. So that happens three, four times on a marble countertop, all the various types, which is, anyway, that's that's how you do it for a countertop. That's how you do it for concrete. It'll, it'll go on forever, and you pretty much quit when you're exhausted. The stain generally doesn't fully go away, but it gets better. But you would not suggest that? Or underneath to take off the... Oh, uh, you could. The, you could. Just I'm, I'm just trying to set your expectations. Uh, you know, if it, even, um, even with the pros and nuclear, oftentimes the best you can get a stain out is by leaving 30 to 40% of the stain. So you can make it better, but Mother Nature is the only thing that gets rid of that stuff. Okay. 
How's that? I well, yeah. <laughs> Just trying to set the expectations, which is probably why the guy went ahead and sealed over. It's like he can look at it. If it's an oak leaf or it's a red clay stain, you know, a year and a half will do the best or two years. But, you know, if you're going to seal or not seal that for that length of time, you know, so be- better talked about up front. And it sounds like kind of did, you know, so. Well, he didn't. Uh, ouch. I, w- I wish he'd had. We just, just told him, no, not not do that part, but yeah. he didn't. And, and sometimes they, you know, I, I know we do. We'll leave areas because you can go back and, and seal them. You know, we know we're coming mm-hmm. back either way. So anyway, right. just be aware. Okay. Well, thanks for your help. Yeah, Dave, I'm I'm not optimistic before it was sealed on removing the stain, and I'm even less optimistic after it gets sealed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot, Scott. I appreciate the help. Okay, Dave. Take care. Mm, bye-bye. I know. Sometimes the experience is all I can share. Uh, oftentimes just a shoulder to cry on. Uh, here's, here's, the, here's the magic mess. Brand new concrete. There are just some, dri- some driveways that are in clay areas, and you'll see them in new subdivisions. And driving through a new subdivision, visiting somebody or, you know, just driving around my normal life, you know, I'll get through some of these new subdivisions and it's brand new white concrete and all the soil around it is that red clay. You know the red clay. I'm, it's, I mean, it's almost bright red. Dogs walking in the mud will track it up and those footprints will be on that concrete for a very long time. A uh, rainstorm washes that uh, clay across. Oh, my gosh, what a mess it is. Uh, 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. I'm here to answer your questions, help you with my experience, and also kind of set what success can or might look like or might not. Home Improvement, KMOX, at your service. All right, happy Saturday. Beautiful day, great weather, little bit of breeze out there. That's making the things, that hot temperature, the humidity feel pretty good. Yeah, Midwest breeze, kind of nice when you get that moisture, humidity in the air and you move that breeze across that skin. Ooh, that's a cooling, misting effect. Kind of like walking through those misters or you see them at sidewalk cafes and various places. Uh, Six Flags has them out there. All those ways, some of the pools that we wet and cool our skin so that the evaporation dries and cools ourselves. Kind of neat there. Anyway, um, all an air conditioner is inside of a house is a similar sort of thing where you literally put some sort of a liquid and change it so that, the, you know, as it evaporates or expands, uh, it cools the house and or you. Uh, see what's cooking with my buddy Harry. Hey, Harry, Scott Mosby here. Happy Saturday. How can I help, friend? Thank you, uh, Scott. Thank you for your program. Yes. Uh, I'm thinking about uh, getting a roof on in a couple of months. Uh-huh. And wondering about these uh, leaf guards and all that stuff like that, uh, how how they work and uh, if they if they do a good job or not. So I'm just wondering about that. Uh, well, uh, let me say this: I have uh, hooded gutter systems, the leaf guard on my house. Uh, it's a it's a big deal. I I like it because. 
I, I just haven't been up on the roof for a very long time. There are other hooded systems that do a great job as well. Uh, there are a few uh, drawbacks of hooded systems. The hooded meaning it has a metal thing with a rounded face edge. What it does is the water comes off the roof shingle, hits that flat surface, and then surface adhesion. The water then kind of clings to that metal, goes around the face edge, and then drops into the gutter. Well, the leaves, if they if it's not going to be wet and follow that path, small debris will wash into your gutters, but the leaves and the debris doesn't typically make that a problem. Uh, the, the Achilles heel problem with uh, hooded gutter systems screens any of them. Uh, the hooded ones are my favorite by, by far. Um, uh, beware the, the, the screens that get real small because the smaller the holes, the more uh, that dirt, debris, and dust pollen will plug up your gutters. Um, is icicles. So think about water, right? 33, 32, 31, 30 degrees Fahrenheit, right at that cooling, freezing temperature. As that water comes around, you can wind up on a hooded gutter cover systems with some icicles. And if you've got a two-story home, some of those icicles can get, you know, one, two feet tall, and they're like little hanging daggers over doors. So you just be aware in some weird situations you can have that and inside valleys and gutters. So you'll notice in some of the leaf shedding systems and, and the, the better companies that sell these systems will have all these conversations with you up front to say, this is what you can expect. This is what you can't expect. This is what we will do. This is what you will need to do. Nothing is maintenance free. There's no free ride here. Um, and they're pricey systems. So uh, uh, first off, I applaud that you're getting gutters at the time you do roofs. Uh, I would also revisit the insulation and ventilation of your attic uh, when you do that roof because uh, if I poorly ventilate or insulate an attic, I can make uh, icicles grow on your uh, gutters, period, just because of how the temperatures act properly and improperly right at those gutter lines. Yeah. So you've got. Oh, to- yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, I, I was now the gutters I have on there. They had these little hole screens with holes in them. Yes, but they don't. They're lousy. They don't work too good. Well, there's kind of the, I mean, if you have something where the water goes through and the holes need to be big enough to let the water in, small enough to keep the big stuff out, again, that now you've already experienced the uh, the yes. hole. But but those are enormously less costly. So you pay less, you get less. You pay more, you get more in these gutter systems and covers. So that's kind of where you're going. And, you know, frankly, it just, oh. what's it worth you to stay off, worth to stay off your roof? That's kind of the whole thing. Okay, very good. Well, that pretty well sums that up, Scott. Appreciate it. <laughs> it is. It's, you know, it's, uh, I mean, you'll write that check, by golly, you feel like dry, like you're buying a new car. But, you know, again, at least it parallels the value you get there. Well, got to do some things, I guess. All right. Well, good luck, Harry. Thank you. Good question. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Again, as we get into this, I mean, I we've got, you know, we're in the Midwest. I mean, think of it. Here's how the building science guys, all the eggheads that sit in universities up at Minnesota, Missouri, you know, that study all the weird stuff we go through. The Delta, we literally have surfaces 
in the summer. We're having some today. Those roof shingle surfaces can hit 150, 160 degrees in the direct sunlight. They're dark color. They just absorb heat. So think of that. And the ambient, the air temperature is going to hit, what, 98 today? You know, so think of that as 100 degrees. We get 10 to 15 below zero. So the actual air temperature range is 115 degrees. Wow. Then throw in the humidity, you know, so now our bodies, because the moisture is held right next to us, can't evaporate and cool ourselves. You know, so anyway, the, our buildings are going through this. So the long and short of all this is this is a dandy place to build in uh, because we are both a hot, humid area and a cold, dry area, depending on whether it's the winter or the summer. And the building practices, that's why building science is such a big deal to me, because you can't build, remodel, repair structures in this latitude unless you understand a lot of stuff. And I would say most of the industry does all that without understanding the science behind this. They just know that this works or doesn't work, but they don't necessarily know how to noodle it through. So hopefully you find a partner that knows, knows all that stuff. Let's, uh, oh my gosh, I'm windy today. Let's take a short pause, come back on KMWX. I've got Alex, my producer, waving at me. Normally it's because of incompetence and I pressed the wrong button and, you know, Alex is in there trying to get that. He'd get rid of this. Get, boom. Anyway, let's take a short pause and talk to our sponsors so Alex doesn't go into cardiac arrest. All right, so much fun here. Home Improvement, Scott Mosby. One and a half hours still coming. Big afternoon. It is KMOX. We've got all sorts of experts on all today. And exciting things coming up next. Stay tuned. More coming here. Let's go to my phones and see what's cooking with my buddy, Mary. Hey, Mary. Welcome to KMOX. How can I help? Hi there. Hi there. I have a cement staining problem just like the gentleman that was a few calls earlier only mine is from it's on my front porch uh -huh. and it's overflow or uh, from watering flowers like you know goes through the pot and comes out yes and i have not been able to find anything that can remove that it looks horrible um trying to figure out what i can do to address the situation uh not much uh pretty much put um catch plates underneath those pots. Uh, that's the problem. What happens, especially with the um, um, fertilizer, uh, the fertilizer, for example, might have iron in it. Well, iron has colorant. It'll get down into white concrete and stain it just from the iron additive in that fertilizer. The fertilizer is highly um, pH adjusted, so that will actually etch the white cement, concrete. Uh, anyway, I, I'm going to give you a long story of why this is a near impossible task. That's kind of the long and the short of it. You can improve it, Mary, with that poultice explanation or description. Uh, basically, move the pots, uh, scrub it, rinse it often, warm water matters. Uh, even if you get it in the direct sunlight, uh, make, you know, put water on it. Good old detergent. Uh, I, I still like silly things like dish detergent, like, you know, just dishwashing detergent from the, the sink drives my wife nuts, you know, but I, I it's a good emulsifier. Uh, you know, works great on grease and stains on the pots and pans. Why wouldn't it work on kind? So that's an issue we use. Um, some of the more nastier, um, cleaner 
Spurs, uh, Spick and Span. Uh, these all have some, you know, not so um, um, bio-friendly type things in it. But it'll carry those stains out a little bit. The issue is, is if you have those pots there sooner or later, I don't know, maybe you're better than I am. I overfill the pot. The pot overflows the, paint, the plate. And now I have new stains on it. So long and the short of it is it, it's a much easier thing to avoid than it is to remove. Right, right. Okay, so some scrubbing might lighten it, but nothing. What if, what if, I'm wondering if it was sealed correctly in the beginning. We bought the house used, but um, if it were to have been sealed, would that have protected it or no? It's still going to get through there. It still will get through there, but it it uh, okay. scrubs off a lot easier. For so, for example, if if you have new concrete, you seal it, and you know unless they're professionally available, you seal that concrete every three years. Topical uh, sealer that just holds the stains up top, you know, in the top surface and makes them wash off easier. But when you rinse that off, sometimes you remove some of the sealer too. Um, yeah. So it's kind of like deodorant, you know. You just can't, you know, put it on forever. It doesn't work yeah. that way. You have to reapply. Uh, think of sealer the same way because that's effectively what deodorant is, is it, it seals the subsurface from the air and, and all that. So, Okay. Uh, uh, did you hear my explanation about a poultice, Mary? Um, I was driving and so didn't really catch it all, no. Okay, it's kind of a very deep concept here. It's simple. Um, a whiting powder, for example, uh, W-H-I-T-I-N-G, you can, you'll get it mostly at a, like a craft center or something. It's just a real dry, dusty uh, thing. Or the lime that gets put on baseball fields, for example, just uh, hydrogenated lime that gets, you know, put on for the, um, um, uh, boundary lines and the you know for first and third base lines that's a hydrogenated right. lime that stuff's so dry it will draw the moisture right out of your skin the good news you scrubbing all that stuff onto the concrete mary uh, soap and water and then before it dries out you basically put this dry whiting powder over that stain and then you cover it with plastic you don't want it to evaporate fast you want the whiting powder the dryness in that very dry powder kitty litter might be one oil dry is another uh, it's a drawing poultice material and it just draws that moisture back up out. Now you're going to have to take that off a day later, scrub it down again. You do this four, five, six times, and each time you put new powder or poultice on it, and it basically draws the moisture up out of the concrete. So in, where you just scrub the stain, the, the pigment just moves around in the concrete. You rinse it off, and it, it, you know, the concentration gets less, so the stain gets not as dark, deep, uh, ugly. Okay. Following me on okay. that? Yep, yep, good, but, good but, tip. But All the right. bottom line is it's only going to get a little better. That's the unfortunate news. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate it. All right. Take care, Mary. Thanks. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye. Lee, let's, let's see what's cooking with my buddy, Terry. Sneaker in. Hey, Terry, Scott Mosby, how can I help? Hey, Scott. Thanks Thanks for the program. It's great. been listening forever. You're usually always right. As a service technician, I can verify a lot of that. Oh, but you. I need to ask you a question about my garage door. It, it, about, two, about two weeks of the year when the, when the sun's rising, it's pretty intense, yeah. and it hits on one of the safety lights that, that are mounted on the bottom of the door, yes. and it won't allow it to close. 
Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if it's possible if I just reverse those those safety lights if the because the, the sun hits the one that has a green light on it. Uh, can well, you that, put a shield on it like a brim of a ball cap? I've seen cardboard pieces taped to the side, but if the sun comes straight at that sensor, it's really tough to do that. Yeah, well, it does. It's about, it lasts about two weeks, and the sun moves a little bit further south when it comes up, and it doesn't hit it. So yeah. I just wondered, was wondering if we could, if it, if, if it would work if I reversed them. Uh, it might. I'm not. Um, you're out of my uh, league a little bit there. I, I would surely try it because it's actually pretty easy to do. They don't. There's. You know. It. It won't hurt to try. Okay. It says. It looks like. How big of a an area do they match each other? You know. It only has like a half inch glass or. Yeah. It's. Or, it's only about it, a two it, to four inch area. It's not much here. You know, Terry. It is. Huh? Yeah. So I got to measure it and make sure I got it within. Yeah. A couple of inches of where it was originally. Yep. Terry, right. I got to go. Okay. Thank you for Thanks for your answer. All right. Bye. Bye now. KMOX at your service. Welcome to the Helitech Waterproofing Home Improvement Show, presented by Gutterworks. Here's your host, Scott Mosby, on KMOX. All right, hour two, home improvement, lunchtime, put a few shrimp on the barbie, some beans, warm them up, peanut butter and jelly, all your favorite lunch imbibe things, and let's get some lunchtime going. Yeah, it is University of KMOX. We are going to talk about all things around your house, home, yard, driveway, ceiling, maintenance, rotting, repairs, do-it-yourself, basement, bat, whatever it is, or we can talk about the professional ways of doing those same things. If it's to be done, it has a priority. And one of the things that I learned, I'll go back in, in kind of my own resume, if you will. Um, I, I'm from a family of four siblings. My father founded Mosby Building Arts in 1947. It's been, uh, uh, you know, I guess 70-plus years, quite a while. And we're you know, still alive and well and uh, still doing the things according to the way my father kind of set it up years ago. Anyway, um, I'm from four kids that grew up with tools and trucks and power saws and saw horse. I mean, I was 12 years old before I figured out not every family in my grade school class I thought they all had power saws at home and ladders and trucks and stuff. I mean, it was, you know, a home-based business at the time. And so that's just the way it was. So I've got some pretty sharp older sisters and a younger brother that does exactly what I do on a theater set. So he is he builds theatrical sets. Kind of interesting. When we get together, you know, uh, I'll have a two-foot round, 20-foot tall column that has to be crane set. That same column that looks exactly alike he can pick up put under his arm and carry off the stage by himself and they look the same the difference is how they sustain the weather anyway the bottom line here is i've been around the block i've learned some stuff forgotten some stuff and all those projects that happen have a priority and a um an issue Uh, so anyway I grew up with the tools, as did all my siblings, uh, most of the neighborhoods. We're in a a great uh, um, neighborhood. And what I learned later after going to college was uh, I have a business degree. And what I learned there is the use uh, of money as a tool. And if you've got a big problem, you need a big pile of money. If you've got a little problem, you generally need a small pile of money. 
So that's the real oversimplification of uh, business management. But logic uh, in construction is probably most like farming uh, because you're accountable to the weather. Mother Nature can change everything instantly. Uh, and yet you can go back through the um, weather history and see what the highs and the lows are. So from an estimator's point of view, we can figure out that during the month of December, there we're going to need you know heaters and blankets and uh, extra um, methods of uh, handling the drying, curing, chemical treatments and all that. So all of that is just uh, how I got here. Anyway, we can talk about that and more, but anyway, let's think that we realize there's an enormous range of temperature that we deal with in the middle of the United States. We have high humidity, high temperature. In the wintertime, it gets very, very cold, uh, winds and, and all that. The point being is we need shelter. We won't make it without shelter. So we build these structures and with all the both the – I call it the worst of both worlds is uh, high humidity, high temperature. And then we have to build that same structure for very low dry temperatures. Uh, we need to know some a lot of stuff, you know, and, and that's where we call it building science and how I real, pretty much wound up on X was because I turned into a building science geek on top of the stuff I learned from my father and every other tradesman or engineer or building expert that I could get my hands on, you know, I just love, I still love this stuff. You, you want to take me offline real quick. You just talk about the building science, the physics, and the chemistry behind all that stuff. Off we go, Scott's. You know, there he goes again. Uh, we can talk about that, but I am here to serve you on CAMWAX because I bring all of those pre-disastered mistakes that I've made in my life to you. You don't have to do all those crash and burns. You just call 314-436-7900, 436-7900, toll-free 800-925-1120. I am a homeowner. I've been through all these dumb new homeowner things as I learned how to take care of houses. Uh, I've been through the trades. I've gone through trades. I've been a carpenter for eight, ten years at a time. So I'm, you know, pretty well skilled in that. I love multi-trade things, and, and I just love learning, and I love construction. And, and I got that from my dad. And, I mean, by golly, you get my brother and my sisters around, sometimes we start talking about wheelbarrows, tools, and the you know, what it was like growing up in the Mosby household. Phones for you right now, 314-436-7900, toll-free 800-925-1120, 314-436-7900. We're wide open. This is all for you, all about you. If you can hear my voice in the four-state area of the Midwest, you are the family. KMOX. All right, we are off and running. Hour two, KMOX. This is the Helitech Home Improvement Show on KMOX. Scott Mosby at your service. I will make the promise to pledge to you my very best. I'll tell you my best experience. Uh, anything, uh, I'll be truthful with you. If I think you're heading for trouble, um, I'll, I'll tell you that too. Uh, I, I often get asked socially that what is the hardest question that you've ever been asked? Well, it's when I ask for help and one of the answers is dangerous or wrong. You know, I've just invited lots of help. So it's 
you know, it, it's difficult to say that, you know, can do that, but it might be another way to do that better. So anyway, that is the most difficult question. Let's get right to the phone line, see what's cooking here, uh, and talk to Christopher. Hey, Christopher, Scott Mosby here. How can I help? Yes, uh, how are you doing today? Fantastic, my friend. How are you? Oh, uh, Rosie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You, you must be a hot Rosie. <laughs> yeah. I got a quick question for you. Uh, if I want a vacant lot and hit a mo- old mobile home on it, uh, what would it cost to get rid of it, the mobile home? Uh, actually, it's the Holloway cost. Can it roll, uh, Christopher? Can can you hook it up and tow it with a hitch, or is it just going to fall apart? Well, uh, I mean, uh, there. I mean, I did come. I look at it. The mobile home is toast. Okay. So it doesn't have a. Um, it's all just. It doesn't have a frame and no wheels. Okay. Got it. Got it. Oh, you're probably somewhere between two and five thousand dollars because you're gonna have to knock that thing down if you get a the hauling away part is the most difficult because you can get a couple of guys knock this thing down, uh, you know, you get a permit on that thing. And you do need a permit uh, because there might be asbestos in that thing. And also it's a little more uh, permit laden, if you will. But uh, getting the thing knocked down into a pile of debris is Probably the easy part, getting it loaded up and hauled away. Uh, your bigger companies actually will do the knocking down part with a machine. They'll show up with a machine, big dumpsters, dump trucks, whatever, and they'll load it mechanically. So their labor cost will be very low, but their mecha- their machine cost will be high. Uh, likewise, you get a small guy in there and labor cost will be high, but you know then they still have to get it loaded on dumpsters and get those things hauled out. So I would say just the dumpster or disposal cost of that would be probably two, the volume of it uh, would be probably two thousand to three thousand dollars plus knocking it down wow yeah it's a lot of debris you'd be surprised how small it knocks down into but you know it's hauling it away which is why if you can get somebody with a truck and it's in pretty good shape you know and it's still on a frame with wheels and tires you can haul that thing you know somewhat away and then you know do it more economically and do it off-site yeah, it's. Uh, I hear you. I was thinking about buying this big lots over in Illinois, and they have a lot of old mobile homes on them. Yeah, and I was trying to find out what I was getting into. Well, if you if you do it on three or four lots, that cost will be you know cut in half for each of those. But a one off, one time. A demolition of a mobile home with, you know, uh, utility hookups, sewer hookup, all that stuff, um, and the permits that go along with that, then you're going to be two to $5,000 to get rid of that structure, whatever it is. That's a lot of grip. It is a lot. I hear you. Welcome to my world, brother. <laughs> I didn't mean to put you into cardiac arrest there, Christopher. <laughs> Okay, Scott. Thanks for your help. Okay, man. Thank you. Take care. Good luck. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye now. And, and indeed, again, you get all these hooked 
backed up to to utilities. You've got potable water, which means water supply. Then you've got the sewer, which is going out. Those are two different utilities for the most part. Then you've got gas or electric or both, uh, you know, and then you have phone or cable, whatever that, you know, you have to deal with all those guys. Uh, so you never know what it is. Uh, the phone and cable, nobody really cares. You know, those just uh, have been cut off by usually a vacant lot. But those utilities sometimes need a little bit of oversight. You just can't leave an open sewer with stuff rolling down the sewer and debris falling in. You know, the you know they don't like treating, um, you know, trash that flows in from a vacant lot like, uh, you know, tumbleweeds and whatever. See what's cooking with my buddy Bob here. Hey, Bob, Scott, good afternoon. How can I help you, my friend? Uh, yes, I'm uh, going to remodel the hall bathroom. Okay. Uh, totally got it. There's a tub in there now, and I'm going to take the tub out. Mm-hmm. And have you had any experience with these fiberglass floors uh, for shower floors? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you bet. Are they just as good as the concrete, you know, that you mix up and it's like a pretty pretty stiff? Are they just as good as that? Well, they have to be put in right, Bob. Here's the long and the short of it. is It's a softer surface. It's not going to last as long as a mud-set tile surface because, you know, a mud-set tile shower base could be in a, a hospital or a hotel and go on for 30 or 40 years. A fiberglass or acrylic unit won't just won't last that long. It's not going to cost you as much, but it also comes up, if it's a well-made shower pan or base, it'll have lips that come up on on the wall. Uh, and I, I like them. It, typically, if we can figure out an attractive way to use a shower base, we'll start with that uh, because okay. everything else gets more costly. And, and yeah. then with the, uh, when you say it'll be solid, you have to set that shower base pan or whatever it is and then you have to support so there you know typically we put it down we might put some real soupy cement underneath it uh no expanding foam if we can get to the sides uh, after it's set um you know so there's some tricks into how to set those things and if you don't do it right it, it, it can be a real you know three stooges type installation and then you wind up with flexing floors and bouncing and noise and all the rest Okay. All right. Sounds like I might go that route. That's that's a little bit better than that thin set or the the concrete part. Oh, yeah. I mean, it it, it takes a lot less experience, but do your homework. Do some research on how those things properly get set to avoid the flexing and support that uh, unit. Okay. Thanks. All right, Bob. Good luck. Bye now. Again, there we go, helping the do-it-yourselfers to get her done uh, right here on CamWax. Let's see what else we've got here. Talk to my buddy Brad. We are rolling right now. Hey, Brad, how you doing? Pretty good. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I've got a question concerning insulating a, an A-frame uh, home that's down at Lake of the Ozarks. Uh-huh. Um, it, I discovered when we got it re-roofed that there was no insulation in the roof whatsoever, and it's rather odd construction where it's got uh, essentially a, an exterior layer of plywood. It looks like two by fours laying on their sides and then an inside layer of plywood with nothing insulating in between. Okay. And we're trying to figure out how can we add insulation and still have, you know, any ventilation? Uh, would, we, would we need to, like, drill holes in the insulation or, excuse me, in the plywood on the interior side to allow air to travel uh, and then insulate, you know, add the insulation in there or is there, or could we just like use foam 
either spray in foam or block foam on the inside without having to mess with the, the double layer that's already there. Yeah, I would pretty much go to the foam on the inside to start with. Just realize that whatever you put foam on, that's now a flammable, toxic material. You have to cover that with a drywall or some sort of a finish fire separator for fire. Otherwise, you wind up with a real toxic, um, you know, smoke in that foam. But here's the thing. A cold roof, C-O-L-D, for example, 10,000 feet up in the mountains, uh, sometimes out in the very hot summer sun in the desert, uh, they will fur up or put sleepers, S-L-E-E-P-E-R-S, sleepers, two-by-fours up to allow the air to wash underneath the shingles so that either the shingles in the uh, in the very cold, snowy climates like top of the mountain, that top shingle layer stays really cold, and then they let the cold air move right underneath it, and then they put the insulation underneath that on the inside. So that's called a cold roof primarily. And what it means is it just means you've got this little ventilated space underneath the shingles. It depends on which way your your two-by-fours are going. If they go across the roof, your ventilation is not nearly as good. If they go up and down parallel where the heat rising, it, it really stays cold or warm, and you wind up... Um, moderating the intense heat of the sun in the desert or the intense cold of the snow and you're not melting snow turning it into ice making roof leaks in the top elevations and mountain you following that yeah yeah unfortunately they're running horizontal or across the roof so i'm assuming that to ventilate it correctly i need to like drill holes in the gable ends and and make sure you put in those little vent those little like little bent puck things yes yes at this point if you've got that going i would probably go that way and vent the sides you understanding you're probably under ventilating that uh, ventilating that area but you also have a two-layer roof which is pretty premium and i would go to the inside inside surface to insulate that uh uh, right. I, uh, okay. Yeah, there there's some real benefits of a double layer roof or cold roof as we call it. Right. Now now do they, uh can they spray in foam on a on an angled surface like that or Oh, you betcha. You bet and and okay. and one of the issues what you get out of a sprayed anything whether it's wet cellulose uh foam uh you, you know soy foam whatever it is is it blocks all those air leakage which on an A-frame, those were kind of built as cottages to begin with, not really intending a lot of insulation. So a spray-insulated anything fixes the air infiltration problem, which really can create some leak problems by condensation. So it's it's a really good foam. Spray foam would be my first choice. Okay. Is it significantly more expensive than the block foam that you buy? Absolutely, like three, four okay. times. Yeah, well, because okay. you, they're mixing chemicals. They have to scaffold to get up. They have to spray this stuff. It makes a mess. You have right. to, you're basically spray painting the whole inside of the house, so you have to protect it, yeah. that kind of thing. It's a little less messy than that, but, you know, getting to those high surfaces has a cost to it. Okay. All right. Well, that's... The way I guess I need to look at going. Yeah, well, don't don't um, uh, miss the sheet foam. That can also be done too. You just have to then seal that up pretty well, so you caulk the surface and then you sheet foam apply. But then you're still doing scaffold access, all of that too. Right. Well, except I, I guess I can go do it yourself that way. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Well, 
Thank you for your help. You bet. Good luck, Brad. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Home Improvement, University of KMOX. This is the family of KMOX. Now, Cody is my producer waving at me. Have you seen those big vaudeville hooks that, you know, that comes out on the side of the, uh, you know, right on the stage? Guys, been, well, I just got the vaudeville hook. And I'm on. So we're going to take a short pause here, uh, courtesy of Cody. All right. Boy, howdy. We're having a good time. Well, I hope I'm having a good time. Hope you are, too. Uh, You know, I'm just uh, right here locked in this corner room. And my producer, whose real name is Cole. I mean, I was calling him Cody, but, you know, he's a swell guy anyway. Give Cole a call. See what's cooking. Let's see what's happening with my buddy, Austin. Hey, Austin, Scott Mosby. Welcome to KMOX. How can I help? Uh, yes, I wanted to uh, pick your brain about a uh, a remodel that I was doing last year, and oh. I have I have a certain roof mm-hmm. that uh, doesn't have any gables, okay. so it's load bearing all the way around, of course, and then on the one end is where they did an addition. Well, I wanted to open that wall up. It's fourteen foot opening. I did a three jack system on each side out of two by sixes. Okay, and. I was only able to put two by sixes up there for a header <laughs> Ouch. because even with the two by sixes, I only had six foot four for a head height and I really didn't want it to get any lower than that. And what I did was I put brick lentils, angle iron, uh-huh. and I sandwiched two of those inside of those three two by sixes okay. and lagged and lagged all that together. How tall was the vertical um, steel in between those two by sixes, Austin? Five and a half. Full five and a half? Yes, sir. Okay, two times five and a half. Well, you're still on a 14-foot span. You're still understructured. Mm. Mm. Not by much. Two by six, here's here's how uh, we sometimes handle that. Keep in mind, you've got the structure above. You can build your height uh, up into the rafters um, to where you go, what sticks down below the ceiling, that five and a half inches or whatever, plus maybe the five and a half, six or seven, whatever you've got above. So you can get uh, on a 14 foot opening, uh, you're basically three two by 12s with at least one steel flitch plate, uh, F L I T C H, which basically is a quarter inch steel standing straight up on edge like a two by would be. That a 14 foot span, we almost always go to either steel or a glue lamb beam, and at five and a half inches, you're into steel. So that primary, I don't even know if you'd make it with a five and a half inch. Um, wide flange steel I-beam on that span. I don't think you can get anywhere near that 14-foot uh, span to, to do a, a proper load. You're, you're understructured, really, by any way. The, so yeah. <laughs> if, if, I, if I added a few more jacks to each side of that, it's not the sa- it's the middle sag. It's the deflection of that long fourteen foot, um, and you'll see it over the next three or four years. The center of that beam will get just a little bit lower, and you'll notice it more as it's not straight. Um, I don't know that you're in a collapse because it would take an impact or a sustained load to do that, but you're understructured for a forty f- pounds per square foot live load wall structure. Okay, and so if I was to shorten this up from the sides, 
because I certainly don't want to put a column in the middle. Yeah. How far in should I go on each end? Well, this is, uh, you need to run the calculations on this, but my instinct is you're going to be somewhere around nine feet, nine to nine, somewhere between eight to 10 feet on that structure with your two five and a quarter inch flitch plates plus your angle but now i mean you're into some pretty unusual beam there on bearing and this has to go to either a licensed structural engineer or an architect somebody who can calc i mean we can run that calc which is why we have all these guys in the mosby office it's not a big deal for us but you need to find a structural engineer to answer that question Um, so even the three two by sixes isn't even good for nine foot oh my gosh no no, 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 nope, nope. I mean, you're you're getting close to eight, seven and a half. I mean, two. The strength comes from what goes up and down the height of the beam, not how thick or fat you make it. So putting going to three or more jack studs on the side, all that means is it'll it'll hold up more structure. The beam between those two columns or jack studs on each side of that opening, you just need a. I mean, fourteen feet. That's a massive opening. That's, that's maybe I did what maybe I wasn't clear. I have three two by six header boards going across, and then I sandwiched. I two. get that. I get that. You, oh, in my opinion, okay. you need three okay. two by twelves with at least a, an eleven oh. inch tall steel <laughs> flitch plate in there. And you're when you start getting into two angle irons with five inch flanges going up, and you know you're getting pretty close. You know, but I would have an engineer run that. But I know enough to ask this question three more times to a structural engineer. So I'm just saying, okay. you're, you're giving me enough ins. You're already flying really close to the flame, and my instinct is you're probably not enough and you're not going to like what the engineer tells you but by golly you did with what you had you did a pretty darn good job uh, putting some steel in there the way you did so well they they were kind of they were kind of shaking on uh, whenever i told them what i was doing with the with those angle irons and they're like well we've never even thought about putting any steel in with a header before to accomplish oh. something like that yeah because then the 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 trick is for the jack studs to hold though that beam that header straight up and down so that that 12 inch flitch plate that quarter inch piece of steel stays straight up and down on its edge if you will that's where the structure comes from but you have to keep it from from rotating or turning you just can't have it torquing at all under load then because if you lay that that big chunk of steel sideways you know, it's just not, you know, it's it's 10 times stronger on edge than it is flat. Gotcha. All right. Thank you very much. Yeah. Good luck, Austin. I just know that, uh, that you know, with as much as I know, I would take that to a structural engineer and only then would I, you know, trust. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you. All right, Austin. That was a, that was pretty good. I mean, to get a couple of flange, I mean, you, with you did pretty well. Uh, but I would surely ask that question three more times. Uh, 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. Scott Mosby, truly at your service. Uh, let's see what's happening here with my buddy Jim. Hey, Jim, Scott here. Happy Saturday. How can I help you? Yeah, Scott, I've got a 40-year-old ranch tile with two roofs on it that I'm looking to get re-roofed. And uh, I wanted to ask you about what your thoughts were as far as the 750, uh, I think they would call them 750 vents, just uh uh, to uh, I've got gables and eaves vents, and uh, was not planning on putting a ridge ridge vent on, but uh, thought about the uh, just additional venting with the 750s. 
Uh, to describe what a 750. You're talking about a little pan vent, mushroom square. Yeah, a little. Yes. Yeah, right. 750 uh, free airspace uh, vents. Uh, those are fine. They need to go up really high on the roof. Uh, the higher, the better. Um, you don't have to use a ridge vent. The issue with that is that uh, they need to be high. What you lose with that is as long as you're going to use gable end vents, those high triangles or rectangles, whatever you're using, uh, with those pan vents or 750s as your column, uh, those gable ends might be the makeup, the supply, so the air comes in the end of the gable, then up through the roof, and exhaust out through that top roof sheathing, which negates the vacuum or pulling through those soffit eaves. You, you follow what I mean? I do. Yeah, that's why I thought maybe uh, it would would be not a good idea <laughs> to to put them on. Well, there uh, sometimes that's all we get. You know, if if you just don't have eaves, but if you've got eaves, if you've got soffit inlet air there. Um, I personally would cover the gables, and, and that doesn't mean I take the gable vent out. You can also leave that vent in and cover it out so no, so it's airtight and water weather tight as well. So visually, sometimes we don't have to re-side the whole gable. You just go ahead and negate the venting and make sure that rainwater driving onto it drains out with a flashing down at the bottom and then put a ridge vent on the top because when you've got a hole in the top, the ridge vent, the very highest, and an inlet on the side, that's that's optimal. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that Be, because everything's in the right place. Uh, yeah, I'm not following you on that because I thought you always said don't use a ridge vent if you have gables and eaves vents. Uh, eaves vents, meaning at the overhead, the gutter line, is that the term you're using? Correct. Sir? Okay. Correct. With a ridge vent, you must have eave intakes. And then the... And right. Then, now, once you do that... You cover over the soffit ends or, or the gable ends. You, yeah, but I don't want to cover. I just want to. I want to continue using the gable end vents and my eaves vents. And I just wanted to know if I, you know, if it was good or bad. If it's not, uh, per, the, uh, it's hand, not optimal. Hand, hand but then any port in a storm here too, Jim. So I mean, you're just going to get less airflow from your eaves from the cool low air. Um, much of that makeup air, path of least resistance, Mother Nature, you know, high pressure to low. It, those pan, those 750s are going to exhaust air, and they're going to draw air from the closest free air source they can get, and that will be your gable end vents. So wouldn't you but then put, if you were going to add those, wouldn't you put them down lower toward the, I mean, or why bother at all, I guess? Well, then, <laughs> but if you put them low, uh, the issue is you're not going to get enough. Then they become intakes. You already have the intakes at the gotcha. eve. You gotcha. see what I mean? So right. now, right. again, when you start mixing a little bit of this and a little bit of that, you go from a generalist point of view from me into fluid dynamics of an engineer describing exactly how, the, I mean, you you outstrip mine now. I know enough to ask that question, yeah. and I know who you know, but you start messing with all of that, and then you better you better have some PhD guy in your pocket soon. Well, well, I think I'm just going to leave well enough alone. It's the last 40 years; the roof's done fine with, and uh, <laughs> and I'll just not put any additional venting on the gables and the eaves vents uh, or soffit vents. Have probably uh, have 
function fine. Well, let me run you through how I would noodle this through, Jim. It, you can put those 750 or pan vents on the center of the roof. Just keep them further away from those gable end vents and just figure mm -hmm. it out that if I've got from the top of the roof from this 750 or pan vent straight down, if I've got 16 feet, then I, my first pan vent would be about 16 feet away from the gable end vent. You follow okay. me? I want sure. as much of that makeup supply source cool air coming from the low part of the roof as I can get. Right, That's right. kind of the crude, non-engineer way of going about it. Got right. it? Right. Okay, very good. Thank you. All right, Jim, good luck, my friend. Mm-hmm. Bye. Right. Bye now. Home Improvement, Scott Mosby at your service right here on KMOX. All right, wrapping up Hour 2 on Home Improvement, we're going to have a really interesting question. Let's go see what's happening with Mike. Hey, Mike, Scott Mosby, how can I help? How are you? Are you there? Yep, you're on, Mr. Mike. Okay, I have a home that's about 80 years old and still operating out of a cistern. Uh -huh. um, occasionally, I've, in the past years, I've got down on it myself and cleaned it out, but... As age grows on, I can't do it. So I'm looking to find out if there are any companies that actually come in and do a cleaning and a patch repair. On, uh, on, yeah, where are you located? Um, out in Wildwood area. Oh, gosh. Um, the, water hauling. Uh, companies that typically haul water that will refill a cistern during drought areas, they will typically know cistern repair companies. Uh, it, it is not hard. It's, it's typically power wash, spray washing down inside that concrete box, if you will, and then concrete sealing and patching. It's very labor-intensive. Sometimes they'll spray a liner over it uh, as opposed to putting cement. Um, but it, it's a little pricey because it's basically uh, septic tank repair as well. You could also call a company that makes an aerobic uh uh, concrete septic tank because that's about the same thing. You may you may discover, Mike, that putting in a new cistern may be more economical than repairing an old one. So be prepared okay. for that. Uh, and I, I would start probably by calling uh, the manufacturer uh, of the uh, septic tank or aerobic, which means it has a motor on the top blowing air inside this thing. And once you get into that precast concrete type world and the water hauling world, you're in the same neighborhood and those guys will know how to guide you out there. Okay. I have called a couple water and no one seems to know anybody that does it anymore. Oh, you're um, kidding. Wow. No. And, and if I do it myself, uh, like I said, I, I may have to crawl and do it myself again. But as far as patching material, what would be usable? Because I know they want it to dry out before you put anything on there, but that's almost impossible when you're down in that kind of environment. Uh, yeah. Is there a, I, I, a spray patch? Um, I, I, if, if, how long are you going to be in this thing? How long does this cistern need to last? Well, uh, probably another 10, 15 years. I, I probably should have gone a well years ago, but various issues changed that. So um, I've been here about 40 now operating on it. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, my, my thing is, as you get 10 to 15 years, you may be better served by spraying a rubberoid-type material on there, almost like a waterproofing thing that is for potable water, clean enough for that. Um, you, you follow what I mean? You basically put a waterproof bag liner inside that concrete structure. Okay. That might be the way to go, but uh, there are companies out there. Um, the, the problem is, is there's only so much that it's worth with an old system cistern, so the price may outweigh the value of having this done professionally, if you follow. Okay. 
Well, thank you very much. Mike, good luck, my friend. All right. Have a good day. All right. Take care. And we are live and lively here. Stay tuned on University of KMOX. Lots of things happening. We started off uh, hour number one um, with a sinkhole question or what I thought might be something like a sinkhole. We got into gutters, gutter uh, hoods and covering uh, concrete stains, a lot on concrete stains. We had Terry with a garage door where the sun actually was wreaking havoc on his safety reverse eyes down at the bottom of the garage door that, you know, turns the door up and, and, you know, if you have a pet or you, you know, walk underneath it, um, maybe switch those around uh, to a cistern question here, gable end vents and attic vents, all those sorts of things. Anyway, suffice it, if you have questions for me, it's Mosby Building Arts. We are callmosby.com if you have questions for me during the week.